Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Good morning. I think it's always good every once in a while just to remind ourselves of why we come together and on God's Word. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person to your right and say, let's do this. It's really not complicated. Okay. Um, except for the people over here. It's a little awkward. Um, all right. Now I want you to turn to the person on your left and say, let's do this. Okay. Why do I have us do that? Well, back a couple weeks ago, I was... Uh, uh, it was like a month ago, actually. It was my anniversary. And uh, me and my wife went down to the city and stayed overnight. And uh, we were there Friday night, um, and we watched everyone coming out of work. And we started noticing, we were kind of in the Penn's Landing area right on the river, and we started noticing, uh, like, everyone was carrying a mat. And they were enthusiastic. And they were walking right down the street, and they were headed somewhere. Well, where we were uh, hanging out is you could look out across, uh, it was kind of like a boatyard, and you saw this like pier sticking out along the river. And there was a group gathering in force um, with their mats, um, ready for some yoga, okay? Um, And they were excited to be there, and they just kept growing and growing and growing. Saturday morning, we wake up, go for breakfast, grab some coffee. We start noticing the hustle and bustle. No one's out and around except people carrying yoga mats. Again, now this, you thought the group was big on Friday night, you should see Saturday, okay? This group had a mass, and they were there, enthusiastic, as a community, gathered around group exercise. When we come to gather together and worship, it's a time of group exercise. We together are saying, let's do this, let's feast on the God's word. We're not bringing our mats, we're bringing our Bibles, and we're ready and excited for what God's going to do when we open his word. So this morning... We're going to continue with our parable series. Uh, We started last week. We're in a five-week kind of bridge from ending 1 Samuel and then moving into 1 John, which will start on September 8th. Um, We'll be preaching on both here and at uh, 2.2, so it'll be a nice mix of us moving through like a verse-by-verse study of 1 John. So in these weeks in between, we're just studying the different parables of Jesus So we're going to be hovering around Matthew 7, but I'm going to ask you to engage with me because we're going to be like right around it, uh, but we're going to be moving from a lot of different verses as we look at the lead up into our passage this morning. So last week, we just simply like defined what is a parable. And a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. So let me just start Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 to 27. Let me just read this. We're going to zoom in, and then we're just going to take a step back, zoom out, and then we'll finish by coming back to these verses. Build your house on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. How many of you in Sunday school remember this as a song? 
Remember? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay? And then the second side is the, wise, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. We have these beautiful songs that we teach children the basic truths um, of Scripture. But sometimes, even as adults, then we reduce the power of a, a passage to just a simple song that we sang. So this morning, I kind of want to unpack this song. This, this, not the song. Trust me, I'm done singing. Okay? Don't worry. But to unpack this parable and kind of look at what was leading into this simple story that has a powerful truth for us. Context matters. You're going to hear that from week to week. One of the things we're going to stress as we go through this parable series is that context matters. Um, it's a danger in studying Scripture, um, and especially when it comes to parables, to just kind of look at something isolated, not fit it into the greater narrative, but then even the context of which the passage is given. You see, in the world that we live in, we love insta-everything, okay? Urban Dictionary, Urban Dictionary insta is short for what? Instant, quickly produced results, okay? And so what we do is we have these problems, and we look for these insta-fixes, and we do these quick insta-studies of Scripture, um, and we, like, wonder why we kind of fall flat and be like, man, God's Word is just not really speaking to me today. And so it's important that we kind of move away from that and dig deep when we look at Scripture, even in our personal walks and on a Sunday morning as we gather together to feast on God's Word. So parables appeal to that often because they're nice, isolated, short little stories that give us these moments of gratification and truth. But if we don't apply them properly, it's just these moments of gratification. It's not really life transformation that, that was meant to be through these. Now, I want to remind us of something, okay? This is very, very, very important. It was Jesus' words that led him to the cross. It wasn't his actions. It was his words. Why did Jesus draw the big crowds? Why did people come and flock to see him? He was healing people. He was doing amazing miracles. The crowds gathered because Jesus had become a celebrity of the time. It says it in our passage leading up to this, that he traveled around Galilee and the crowds grew. Like he would be headed to a town, and before he got there, people would say, Jesus is coming, and he's healing people. Bring all the sick, bring everything. But when he began to speak, that's when things changed. He wasn't only powerful in his words, but they were provocative. Provocative. What does that mean? What does the phrase provocative mean? All it means simply, <laughs> there's some synonyms to it. Annoying, irritating, and infuriating causing annoyance or anger or another strong reaction. And we see in Jesus' words is where powerful things happen. So to get the context this morning of what's going to happen, I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you're following along um, and don't have a Bible, there's a, a Bible right in front of you. We're right around page 1032. I invite you to open that. It'll be easier to follow along this morning as we go through this. But Matthew 4, 23 to 25. Does anybody have a heading there in their Bibles? What does it say? Okay, Jesus ministers to great crowds. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And there it is again. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is something that the world had never seen. We're used to this, aren't we now? You see a musician, a rock star, a rapper going into, what do they have around them? Crowds. We can fill stadiums with crowds now. But here Jesus, for the first time, is a person who is drawing thousands of people to come see him heal people, do amazing miracles. And so this crowd has gathered. And then look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 5. See the heading, the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And I love this. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So this is the context of the story. Here's what's about to happen, okay? We have this massive crowd that's gathering in front of Jesus. And there's about to be a collision. There's going to be a collision of truth that Jesus is going to bring. And he's just going to have a conversation. This is how Jesus taught. It was very conversation in style. We see there it says the Sermon on the Mount. But how did Jesus uh, preach? He didn't preach like we think. He taught. He was interactive. He asked lots of what? Questions as he was engaging with the crowd. And then he told parables. And he's going to end with our passage for this morning at the end of this whole conversation that he's going to have with the crowd. And so you're going to have this collision of truth that comes. Man, what an example Jesus was. Would have been easy to have the big crowd. I've arrived. I'm here. I have the fanfare. And so he sits them down. Why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Because he went up on a mountain. That's it. There's no secret thing. Went up on the mountain. Jesus was very deliberate with where he spoke and how he spoke, that he could be amplified. They didn't have microphones, okay? So he goes up on the mountain. Here he is looking out. And what, you know, what an amazing moment. He's about to utter some of the most powerful words, provocative words that will ever be spoken, that are still speaking today, that are still alive, still active. And he looks out at the crowd, and he's about to drop the truth bomb on them. You know, there's many preachers out there in today's world who are good at drawing a crowd. You could watch them live stream right now if you wanted to, but unfortunately, as they share with the crowds, they fall in love with the crowd, and they forget to confront with truth. Listen to it. It's real. It's all around us. There's many people that say, yeah, I go to church, or I do church from my house, and you have these people with these large crowds, and why are they drawing the large crowds? Because they're failing to confront truth, and Jesus is about to go all in here. So I just want to do a quick survey, because if our passage today is the end. It's the invitation. It's the call to action. So it'd be kind of weird just to hit the call to action and not like look at what's leading up to it. So just to see how Jesus starts off with chapter 5, verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. 5, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. You guys tracking with me? Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And then it gets really good. You want to talk about a rough start to a message? Here's what Jesus says to the crowd. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Huh? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
It's a way to start the crowd. You want to go get some more followers? Here we go. Blessed are those who are going to be persecuted for my name's sake. Come follow me. He's laying the law. He goes, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's what it's going to look like. And he's just getting started. Look at 13. He gives him a new purpose. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, you're worthless. should be trampled underfoot. Skip the 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is deconstructing the whole idea of who God is in this moment. He's saying, you now exist to bring me glory. You exist to exalt me. You don't exist for you. You exist to bring me glory. Then he goes right at anger. Look at verse 21. He talks about anger. Verse 27, lust. Jesus gets specific with the different things. Look at 529. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your member than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is laying out and says, listen, I'm just going to be real with you guys. You're all here. You're following me. You want to see what I do? But let me just be frank. If you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to take sin seriously. Like real seriously. Like it's not going to be a casual thing that you say, hey, yeah, I got saved 20 years ago. And like I'm still working on my anger thing. Like it's still just as bad. But like. Oh, the gospel transforms you. It's too powerful to not change you. It's not called a perfection, but it's called a purpose to start changing your life and take sin seriously. And you just wonder what the crowd was like. Like, put yourself in the crowd in this moment. You don't really know. Like, a lot of people are just coming and showing up like, dude, when's this guy going to do some miracles here? You know, I want to see something cool again. And all of a sudden, Jesus is just talking to them, bringing things they've never heard before. Radical ideas. Verse 39 of chapter 5. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone, what? Strikes you, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What is going on? Then go to chapter 6. Look, this is all leading up to our passage this morning. It's important that we understand Jesus' words going into our passage Chapter 6, verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret order. He calls him to a secret life of generosity. And Jesus starts going right after the hypocrites. He'll use the word over and over again. You hypocrite, you hypocrite. Do not be like the hypocrites in all areas of your life. Then he teaches them how to pray early on in chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer. The purpose of prayer. How do you pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, this is like... Like, if you're going to just go to the top ten passages of Scripture, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff through these passages, this, this Sermon on the Mount, this conversation that he's having with the crowd that are like, wow, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Verses 19 and 20, verses many of us have probably heard and are always convicting, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. If you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to lay up treasures in heaven. Does that mean being rich and wealthy is wrong? No, it's not. Jesus, God blesses certain people with wealth, but if that's your foundation, if that's what you love, if that's what you're all about, then it enters into the realm of laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 25, he hits on anxiety. 
Every time we open God's word, we should be amazed that the words that he spoke back then are still just as relevant today. Does anybody struggle with anxiety? Yeah, okay. And Jesus is saying, it's weird, he talks about lust, divorce, and then he speaks to anxiety. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Speaks directly to anxiousness and worry. Then he's like, hey, let me just go a little further with this. Look at seven verses one and two. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you will use it, you will be measured to you. Verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the what? Log that is in your own eye. All this was, so many of our decisions in life, we do, we do risk assessment, right? Like we decide like, all right, here's the path forward. We look at all the risks and then we assess, am I really going to do that? Is, that? is this job really going to be better than this job? Man, do we, do we really add another kid to the family? Do we really buy that house? Do I really move? Like we, we risk assess everything we do. And that's basically what Jesus is doing here. He's laying it out for them and says, go ahead and do your risk assessment. Count the cost. Count what it's going to cost to come follow me. Because of the cost, this is, this is where you start the dividing line. Jesus is going to start changing his tone. Because of the cost, Jesus knows this. Many will choose temporary comfort over the long-term cost. Why? Look at verse 14. 714. Jesus kind of begins to lay out what it looks like. What's the litmus test of being a true convert? Not just a person part of the crowd, but someone that's actually a converted follower of Jesus Christ. And it says, verse 14 of chapter 7, For the gate is narrow, and the way is what? Hard. Yeah. The way is narrow. And why? Because it's hard. Difficult. Challenging. The way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Are few. So Jesus is leading right into, and then I want you just to flip to our passage, verse 24. Build your house on the rock. And the simple parable. <laughs> but you notice now that we've kind of seen the lead up. I mean, some of the most sobering words in all of Scripture are right before this. Like, when I chose this parable, um, I was like, I want to I preach on it. I, I love that song that I sang when I was seven, you know? Uh, and then I, like, started, you know, studying. I'm like, man, I forgot that the most sobering words in Scripture are right before this. Many of you on that last day will come to me and say, Jesus, I did all these things in your name. And what will Jesus say? I never knew you. I never had you. You never followed me. You were part of the crowd. So we come to verse 24, and Jesus closes with this simple parable with an entire message to the crowd. And so just a quick summary. We read it. Quick summary. Two builders, two structures, two outcomes. There's two builders. Builder number one heard everything. So now, now we can read this, okay? And it makes sense because if we just read this by itself, it wouldn't make sense. Chapter 24, or verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words. What are these words? It's the words, everything we just looked at. All the way from chapter 5. This is the end of a two-chapter conversation and message that he has with the crowd. Now he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Heard everything that Jesus said and made it the foundation 
of this builder's life. A foundation means a long-term faithfulness. A foundation means it's a priority to be obedient to what Christ calls us to. The foundation represents it's more than just a feeling or a one-time experience. If you know building, a good foundation is everything. You've all seen a house or a building that just is like, something is not right with that house. It usually has to do with the foundation. Builder number two did the same thing. Build a house. The difference is build on the sand. So the picture there of building a house is actually accomplishing spiritual things, for actually doing things for Jesus. It's not building a house. Okay, It represents actually doing something for the Lord. Builder number two built the house, accomplishing spiritual deeds. Heard the words of Jesus and ignored them. Continued to do certain things, but it wasn't a wholesale pursuit and obedience to what Christ says. You see, true repentance, the outflow of true repentance is obedience to what God says. There is no repentance without obedience. There's no salvation without obedience to what God says. Now, we believe that salvation is faith alone. Works are not involved. However, where we can judge salvation is when we see someone's life and they say, I'm a child of God, but none of their actions match what they've professed with their lips. The tragedy in this conclusion of this Sermon on the Mount is both Saul and heard Jesus, both had the opportunity, both went out and did something, they accomplished something for the Lord, but only one got it right. Only one chose obedience. I want to show a picture here. I want to compare, get your opinion. All right, I'm going to have everybody pick, okay? Pick which place you would like to dwell and live in, okay? So this is choice number one. Everybody see it? It's beautiful. You even got kayaks, okay? And three motorcycles, which I don't know why you need three. But you have three motorcycles um, and this beautiful, like, amazing uh, lounge chairs, Okay? Um, here's our second choice, okay? All right, pretty cool looking. Anybody know what this is? Petra, okay, in Jordan. Uh, these were uh, dwellings that took, I mean, they go all the way back. Spencer, you were there, right? It's pretty amazing. Like, I just had a friend who went there, like, it's one of the most amazing things. This is like one little glimpse of Petra, but it's these strong fortified buildings. But seriously, like, where would you rather live? Like, to actually have your everyday living. Here or the, the one we just showed? Like, right there. Now, don't tell me you hate the beach, okay? So, I'm not a beach person. Modern conveniences, all of that. Most of us, okay, I, I work with youth group. There's always the one kid. No, oh, I want to live in a cave, okay? Um, it's way better. No, all right? You're not going to trick me. All of us would probably choose this, Okay? And that's, that's an amazing picture is, is we've done a really good job at, at kind of making Jesus one of convenience, the easy way. Now, second question to this is which one is easier to build? Yeah, this is even easier to build, and it's better, better, okay? But you see, when it comes to our spiritual lives, okay, so many times, you know, we live and I'm a, I'm a victim of this because I, I, I force myself to this, but we live in a culture of convenience. Like, right? Convenience is king. 
We, anything that's convenient is going to do well. We love convenience. And I've talked about this in the past. The most, besides salvation and um, having kids, the third best thing that's happened to me and Kristen is um, like grocery pickup at Walmart. Like, I mean, seriously. Like, convenience is an amazing thing that we love. But here's the problem. is we take that convenience and we put it into our walk with the Lord, to what Jesus has called us to. And and we try to fit it in and we say, but everything else is convenient, especially in our Western culture. Everything is convenient. We can have everything we want like this. But then you compare that to the words of Jesus and you see that the call of Jesus is anything but convenient. There's no convenience in the call of Jesus. Just look at the words we just said or just saw. So then what's it all about? You see, it's not about now, it's about then. And when is then? It's when we take our last breath and we stand before Christ. He says, what did you do for me? I called you to something. What what did you accomplish for me? Building a solid foundation is a life of faithful following the Lord. A faithful following the Lord. I had opportunity last week to... uh, or two weeks ago, to sit down with a pastor who has been uh, pastoring for 37 years. He's in his late 60s. And oh man, it was so good. Like, talk about faithfulness. Just anybody who does anything for that long is amazing. But like, we are called, like, when you see faithfulness, like, go to it, experience it. Talk, find other people that are faithful that are older than you and embrace it. Take, take someone out to breakfast. Like, the Whalens are only an hour away. You can meet in the middle and still take them out to breakfast. There's, God has given us older people in our church who have a lot of life experience and wisdom. And it's foolish for those of us that are younger not to tap into that and say, hey, you know, like faithfulness is not perfection. It's not. But it's when challenges came, how did you remain faithful through this? And so this pastor that I sat with, it was just a beautiful, like just so good for us all to hear how he has been faithful to the Lord. The convenience is not part of the call. And then you just see the picture. I want to show the uh, last one there. Um, everybody remember this picture? This is one of the epic pictures from, uh, what was, man, I forgot. Sandy, thank you. Uh, and this is like one of the houses along the Jersey Shore. And you just see like, this was house, okay? Was built with all the modern, like you, I mean, like Jersey has the strictest rules in the world, okay? It's like crazy. And they have the most modern you know, way of building these massive houses, but look at what a storm can do. And here you see the foolish man builds his house upon the sand, and, and you see the end of that verse, it says, and it fell hard. Like, it wasn't just a destruction. It was like a massive destruction. So where can we get to? And I, I want to just read the, this verse together, okay? We're going to do this just so we can stay awake, too. I want to have a little group reading of this verse, Okay. But Psalm 18.2, because this is where we need to get as children of God, where this is so important. So this is a Psalm of David. This is the same guy who wrote, I love your law. Like, your law delights me. So there was an obedience to what God had called him to. And so he's able to then write verses like this. So let's read this together. You ready? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's one of the most powerful verses 
that kind of just describes what it means to really hear the words of Jesus and then begin to lay a foundation in obedience to what he's called you to do. So I just have a couple of thoughts on this passage, okay? It's, again, we can simply just say uh, two builders, two different houses, two outcomes. But in the Western world, and, and I really believe as, as I have now done ministry um, and been in this pastor role for, you know, seven years, that I really believe, and this is evidence in my own life as well, this is not a judgmental statement, that I really believe comfort has distorted our view of the gospel, that convenience thing. So culture and even Christianity has, here's, here's how we've done this, okay? And you can see it all over, is secular world has done this in education, but then it's even crept into the church. Here's how we do it, okay? Separate Jesus from his words. So everyone likes the idea of Jesus. 71% of our society claims to be a Christian, okay? 71%. That's a high number. If we have 350 million people, 71% of that's a big number, and they claim to be Christian. But you see what we've done, and it happens, and it's permeating the church, is we like the idea of Jesus, but then we literally divorce him from his words, his actual ideology, his theology, what he actually says. And so we look at all the things he's doing, but man, Jesus was loving, caring. Look at all the people he healed. He was just like a loving guy, and he was. That's why he was here. But he also spoke words that ultimately led him to this. And then he says on his way out, hey, go and make disciples. Here's an invitation to go influence the world. Take up your cross and die daily. Come be comfortable with me. You want to come follow me? Here's what it's all about. Let's do this. Jesus in the moment, it's almost like Jesus knew. I mean, he didn't, but like he really knew um, that in years to come, here we are 2,000 plus years after him, that people would begin to twist his words and try to conform them like a little sandcastle Jesus and make it fit perfectly how they want it to, mold it, it look all pretty and, and take what he did in his words and separate them out. And it's almost like he comes to that and he realizes that and he says, anyone who hears my words and does them is forever with me, is an immovable rock. You can't separate it. And that's what's happening in our culture. And so you see here, it's a simple, the foolish man builds his house on the sand. It's constantly shifting. What is truth anymore? What is moral? Like everything is relative now right? Like, you, you go to your neighbor, your neighbor says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. How are you okay with that? Because I'm okay with it. Like, how, how can you have any judgmental power over my life? Right, wrong, good, bad? Who knows? Moral relativism. There's nothing then about Jesus that daily taking up of the cross, striving after the calling Jesus laid out to this crowd. And then I'll just encourage you, like, in this week, like, do a, do a self-checkup. Go through Matthew 5 to 7, I just, it's a great, great, great reminder. I mean, I was so convicted as I was reading this. Uh, it's a great spiritual checkup. There's a couple assumptions here. The assumption that everyone is building. We're all builders. Every day we wake up and we're either building our own kingdom, the kingdom. So there's the assumption that we're all building. And then there's also the assumption that storms will come. Young people like that are in this room, it was hard for me to understand this when I was young, all the way through college. I, mean, I 
Sure. So now is a great time to build your foundation because I'm telling you the storms will come. And it's an amazing opportunity to say, God, I want to be obedient. And you know how you build a foundation? You be obedient to what God has for you in your life. Even when the culture is throwing wave after wave to say, God, who's God? What's morality? Parents, let me just encourage you as well. Uh, what you're building right now directly impacts the next generation of builders that are living in your house. I think I often send mixed messages to my kids. I say, hey, let's pray to Jesus. Let's, let me tell you stories about Jesus. Let me talk about what Jesus has done in my life. But something my life transmits a completely different message to my kids. And they're always, always watching. Always, always watching. Because often I'm building something else. I'm building Brian's kingdom Instead of saying, like, how do we really follow Jesus with everything we have? So parents, let me just encourage you that uh, if your only desire is to create comfort and convenience for your kids, it's going to teach, like, it's, it's not even on purpose, okay? But it's going to teach a very shallow view of salvation. And it may not even give a proper understanding of what the gospel is all about. Jesus is so much more than a simple prayer. Jesus is more than a feeling. Salvation is about life change, and that's what your kids need to see more than anything else. They need to see an who, when he gets angry, falls down and repents and says, I shouldn't have been angry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have got angry at you. Why? Because Jesus is changing me. I'm not perfect, but I want to be faithful. They need to see praying parents, generous parents, parents who don't run when the relationship gets hard, but they allow grace to permeate their relationship. So even on the most difficult days, the kids are watching what you're building, and they're seeing a kingdom being built that's either going to be pleasing to God or it's going to be about here and now. Last, if you don't know Jesus today, have a relationship with him, have really begun to understand what it means to be a follower. Maybe you're just part of the crowd. Like you're here this morning because like, you got invited or you're just like, I know church is a good thing. Like, it's probably a positive thing in my life. Um, I just want to, I'm going to end with a video here in a minute that just kind of like closes out everything I've said a lot more succinctly than I can. Uh, but I just want to invite you, like if, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are, whether you know it or not, you're building your life on sand. And just like that house that was flipped over, massive house, okay, probably a $10 million house flipped over like it's nothing, that's where your life goes and you have no way to stop it without Jesus Christ coming into your life, changing you from the end. Let's all do a checkup this week. Let's read Matthew 5 to 7 and just say, hey, guys, have, have a heart to heart with the Lord. Hey, God, where I'm at. So let's play this video. Uh, and then uh, we're just going to end with a song. Um, and again, I'll be down front for anybody that wants to, to unpack this anymore. And I'd love to, to share more with you. Let's play that. There were two men, each set out to build their home. One built his upon the rocks, while the other did so upon the sand. And then came the storm. There are absolutes. 
things that are fixed that no matter how much we may want to move them will always remain. Jesus said anyone who hears his words and does them will have his life built upon the rock. But to not do them is to live upon the sand. Rock or sand? You see, the ocean is immense, completely vast, pulled by forces beyond man's control, and therefore, it demands respect. You see, it doesn't know you, and it doesn't care about you. It can't. The ocean is an unyielding force. You've been to it. And much like the tides of the ocean, each wave of our culture is a voice washing over the known ideas and fixed points of the world around us. This energy, this force, presses on as each new generation takes the place of the last. And the sands that we've come to identify with shift. The waves move the sand. Culture changes. We're told that there is no God and you are an accident. There's no right or wrong way. You make your own truth. On these sands, even established scientific facts like gender are shifting. From here, fame and popularity become more important than kindness and virtue. The lines of good and evil are blurred. Compliance to these ideas is demanded, and the rock? The rock is hated. You see, culture will mold you, and society will shape you. It will forcibly bend you to its will as long as you remain on the shore. And today, we haven't just built homes on the sand. No, we've built kingdoms and countries upon it. More and more have left the rock to enjoy the temporary pleasures of the shore, unaware that nothing will withstand the tide. Make no mistake, the tide is rising. These sands will move. Don't let yourself be drawn out to sea, but rather find the rock. Without a foundation, without a guide, and without rules, we know a society breaks down. See, we've been taught to look at the teachings of Jesus as something to block us from pleasure and enjoyment, when in reality, it was put there to build our life upon to protect us. The world always calls to us, but it never wants us to leave. And yes, I fully engage society, but my home is on the rock. The water is already rising. We're living in a world gone mad and no one has the answers. When the floods come, something always has to give. Either the waves will break you or the rock will break the waves. There's only one who can save us. He's the one who walked on water through the storm to save those who believed in him. When Peter began to sink under the waves, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus, with compassion in his eyes, pulls Peter from the water. He holds his hand to you. There's no condemnation. He's not mad. He just wants to save you, to pull you to the rock.